0: great. You look cute.
1: Thank you. I've been running around today. <laughs> I'm making a last trip appointment, a, a last, you know, minute trip to New York City tomorrow. So I just had to run around, get tested, all of the things for, oh, yeah. for travel. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. How long will you be there for? Just a week. Ah.
1: Just a week. I have things there. I, I have a place up in Brooklyn and I've been spending so much time out here on the West Coast. I need to ship some boxes out here. <laughs> time has come.
0: Yeah. What are you doing with it? Are you going to keep it? or? With my place? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep it until June. Uh, I have a dear, dear family friend who's in the apartment uh, currently, and I think I'm going to transfer it over to him.
0: Ooh, so West Coast, huh?
1: Well, yeah, this is where I'm originally from. Born and raised in Venice Beach, California.
0: Oh, you're a SoCal girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, me too.
1: Yeah, went to UCLA. Very, I was was very much a West Side girl
0: (laughs) until I was about
1: 23. (laughs) And I slowly started moving more and more East until I went to New York.
0: Got it. And then will you stay in Washington then or are you thinking about California?
1: My boyfriend and I are here in Washington just up in the forest in the mountains just needing to be in nature to kind of recalibrate our nervous systems after 2020. Uh, so we'll be here for a couple months. We're looking to be kind of nomadic this year, truthfully. We want to check out a couple different places in America. I'm gonna go to Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, um,
0: So kind of checking things off the list a
1: little bit yeah yeah yeah
0: how's los angeles oh you know it's the same every day is a bright (laughs) sunny day it's summertime usa things are opening up so it's starting to feel a little bit more like what society used to feel like but Mm -hmm. it's still a bit awkward i'm not really integrating myself into that yet because i don't feel like uh it's necessary um it's fine. Yeah, LA is life.
1: Mean, this, uh, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, especially after you've been there for some time, you know, and you grew up there. Like, it's like, okay,
0: all right.
1: Um, I love that that movie by with Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters, "LA Story," where it's just like so cliched about everything that's happening in LA. It's Like, still is true. <laughs> He's a weatherman in LA. That's his character, and it's. He's the most boring job because it's 72 degrees and sunny year round. Anyway, I'm glad to hear that things are opening up though.
0: Yeah. Are you familiar with Snoop Dogg's work, WGGN?
1: Not the station, no.
0: Okay, he has this fake news station called WGGN and it's where he interviews people too. And it's so funny. He always has this bikini clad woman jumping up and down. (laughs) giving the weather in Southern California
1: I was just seeing him on like a corona ad the other day and on tv and I was just like oh my gosh like how old is Snoop Dogg like in my mind he could be like 60 (laughs) he's not he's not he's like late 40s he's like not even 50 years old yet and in my mind, I'm like, he's always been like, even when I was a kid, he was like big. He was such a big deal, you know? But I forget that like, he's not that much older than me. Like he seemed, you know, when you're when you're 12, this is what, I, what I'm meaning to say. When you're 12, someone who's 25 seems like they are so old, they've got it all together. But when you're 35, and that person's, you know, 47, you're like, oh my gosh, we're like, we're like the same age. That's what I'm saying. Not to say that I'm the same age as Snoop, but I'm like, that whole perspective of age is such a different thing as we, as we get older.
0: (laughs) I know. He's one of those timeless people and personalities. He really is. He really is. And he's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how smooth is that voice? He makes everything sound liquid.
1: Mm-hmm. Just relaxes me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, so you saw him in a Corona ad. Dang, he's on red wine bottles, too. I know! I know!
1: People, Have you tried that red wine? I haven't. The one from Trader Joe's. Yeah, the Snoop Dogg red wine. It's yeah. really fun. It has a lot of sulfites in it. And I'm very sensitive to sulfites. Yeah. So I, like, took a sip of it, and I was like, holy, That's it's tasty, but it's Powerful for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm the same way. So I only drink biodynamic or organic, and it seems mm-hmm. to be a lot softer.
1: Yeah, there's actually a really amazing company. Um, I'm. I don't. I'm not a, an affiliate of them, but my one of my dear. Girlfriends um, works with them she's been a distributor of Italian wines for years and in this last year she started working with them and they distribute out of Texas actually and it's a female owned company and they do all of the kind of wholesale purchasing of biodynamic and organic grapes and then they make their own blends from from all of these grapes around the world and so they do incredible testing for their wines like testing the soil, testing the water runoff, because even if, uh, you know, a farm is not biodynamic or organic, right? Even if a farm is biodynamic or organic, if the farm next to them isn't, then they'll get the pesticide runoff into them. So they do all of that testing and it, I love their wines. It's really great. It's called Scout and Cellar. Um, and yeah, it's. I never thought that I would, become
0: a member of a wine club <laughs> but I did oh you pay monthly and they just send you what they make
1: yeah well I get I get to get a delivery like three times a year because I don't drink that much wine I think feel like it's a celebratory you know special event beverage and so you know I, I get you know three or four bottles shipped to me three or four times a year that way I have a bottle on hand or I can give it away or things like that and I just I really love it. And they have, they make really great gifts for people. I've been giving them to my clients (laughs) and friends this year. Yeah. Scout? Scout. Like I'm scout, like I'm a boy scout, girl scout.
0: I'll definitely look into them.
1: Yeah. They're awesome. And actually after this, I can give you um, my, my girlfriend's email so that she can connect with you about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I just learned that Trader Joe's does that too, with all of their food and in-house products, and that's why the price is so much cheaper than other supermarkets.
1: Yeah, they do the wholesale, you know, shopping for yeah. us, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I know. But you know you, you know being coming from Southern California, you just you grow up on TJs. I was in TJ's earlier today. It's just like, it's the place that we go. I was in New York. I was living in New York before Trader Joe's opened up and where it kind of felt like this like wasteland I was like, oh my gosh, is Dean and DeLuca really the only place I can buy good produce? And it's like $20 for an apple. And then Trader Joe's opened and it was like a totally different experience.
0: (laughs) I heard Dean and DeLuca closed down. Is that true? Yeah, it
1: did. It did. Pre pandemic? Um, I I don't remember. I think it was like maybe just before the pandemic. I remember because there's like the Dean and DeLuca that I always would go to is the one in Soho, right there on, um, I think it was on Broome and Broadway. And yeah, I remember it closing down maybe before the pandemic early last year, possibly. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) Where are you from in LA? I want to know that.
0: Beep, beep. Hi friends, have you heard of Brave? Brave is a fast, privacy-preserving browser that feels like Google Chrome, but without the ads and the various kinds of tracking that ads come with. I was using Chrome before for its minimal and uncluttered interface, but Brave has made it so easy to import bookmarks and extensions over that with its extra privacy feature, I'm a newfound fan. The Brave browser is free and available on all platforms and is actively used by more than 20 million people around the world. Speed-wise, it feels more responsive and also feels private and secure. Try it out at brave.com. If you enjoy these episodes and you find that it adds value to your life, please consider supporting the podcast through Patreon, www.patreon.com slash higher states. Connect with me on Instagram at higher states with two S's at the end. Why two S's at the end, you ask? Well, someone out there is keeping the one with one S hostage and has not responded to my DMs. So if you're out there, please let me have it. Last time I checked, it didn't even seem like you use it. Okay, okay. I digress. Now back to our show. I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Huntington Beach. Okay, cool. An hour, but I moved back here about three years ago. My grandmother had passed away and I wanted to be closer to my family. Mm. Uh, I was in Europe at the time on tour with one of my clients. And I just thought I was going to live like a nomad for the next few years, but I'm so much happier here. The Mm. the sunshine, when I lived in New York, don't get me wrong, I loved it. I loved the people and the culture and the things, all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I really missed the sunshine.
1: Yeah, I love the seasons and that's why I love being where we are right now in the mountains. This has just been a stunning winter. There is a lot of rain here in the Pacific Northwest, that's no joke. Um, And I, I do really love the connection to people that you do have in New York City and just like just walking out your door you're kind of bombarded, your whole senses, all of your senses are bombarded with experience. And it's so enlivening and exciting. And it's been about eight years for me. And now I'm like, okay, nervous system's ready to like chill a little bit. <laughs> I've, been, I've been in it. And especially as a yoga teacher, you know, I would be running around the city teaching, you know, three, four, five classes a day in different locations. And so I would ride the subway two to three hours a day and it was fascinating you know as a you know having grown up in LA and you know driving everywhere I felt like public transportation was so much more efficient I was in love with the the subway and I'd get so much done I'd listen to so many podcasts (laughs) it's so great but there comes a time especially after this this global cycle that we're in like I need to calm down (laughs) my body was asking for it previous to all of this too you know um it's this kind of global wake-up call and recalibrating the things and that we considered important you know before we even knew that this was something that we were gonna be forced to do meaning the pandemic has forced us to understand that which is important um and we didn't choose it necessarily but we're all kind of going through that experience and I know you said you're you're not fully reintegrating or you're kind of partially reintegrating and I think that that's a really important step for us all to do to like consciously and uh, slowly re-emerge with this practice of discernment uh just like we would do on a cleanse like re-entering after a silent meditation or doing some kind of panchakarma like we want to return into the world somehow renewed hopefully you know enlivened by the things that you know fill us up but i don't find it important to step out of my door anymore and be bombarded with sound and sight and smell and you know all of that stuff i like to go outside and tune into the subtlety of nature a little bit more right now um and and that is helping me find like incremental returning into
0: society (laughs) it's a slow process (laughs) for sure it's it's definitely not natural to be bombarded in that way of like whoosh okay here i am Mm -hmm. stepping into this
1: yeah, it, it's exhilarating too. But I do have to say, I've been back to New York a couple times um, since the pandemic began, and there's there's just nobody greater that you want on your side than a New Yorker. Mm, I mean, it's true. The that city is filled with people who are blunt <laughs> and honest, but also, and you know, and sometimes abrasively so. Um because I find that so many people are very saccharine in Los Angeles and very sweet and very kind of you know in that in that way. Okay. Um will
0: be fake.
1: I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I said it. <that> it's okay. <laughs> I think that there's um an overemphasis on the superficial in in Los Angeles and I think that that Kind of speaks to it's gorgeous, it's 72 degrees and sunny, I should be happy, but inside I'm not so happy right now. And I can't show that to anybody, I can't tell that to anybody. And so that's kind of like a perpetuated underlying malaise um, that I'm not saying this for everybody. This is just what I noticed from living in Los Angeles for 25 years. Um, and New Yorkers, like it's just there. there's no filter and it can be a lot it can be too much sometimes right but in this time in this pandemic time there people are so resilient New Yorkers are so supportive and generous and they just get it like all of New York feels like a small town right now it's great (laughs) I love it it's really really nice but that being said I'm gonna stay to nature for a moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know, I think also a beauty of New York, although it is a huge international city that is in the U.S. There is this camaraderie and unity there because we have to interface each other all day, every day. We don't get Mm break. Mm-hmm. therefore we see ourselves in the other, whereas mm-hmm. somewhere like LA when isolation is so a part of the day-to-day in my car, in my headphones, not interacting with anyone mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. the day, there's this sense of, um, there's just this block in being able to connect, whereas in New York, I made a new friend every single day. <laughs> <Just all> <laughs> <free>. <laughs> interesting
1: thing too I think that of that energy that the city that New York City gives to you is kind of like when you're when you're trying to first learn how to surf and you've got to like take your board and go past the breakers a bit and you at first you're just getting like pummeled by waves you know and you're just like oh my gosh I just got to get past this I got to get past this and then the moment that you get like through it and you find a, a like a clearing Like, okay, I can breathe now, I can calm, I can see, I can coast a little bit. I also find, too, that in New York City, because we don't have the windshield and because it is such a financially driven city, right, uh, that there is a greater barrier we come up with uh, and we build upon our own auric field and our own energy, right? And there there's a necessity to that sense of energetic boundary that is even stronger um, and reinforced when you're in the city, you know, and the highest, the highest vibration that we can measure is love. And so I would just constantly try to surround myself with love, thinking about the ones that just fill my heart, my nieces, and my sisters and my, my friends and their children. And, um, and I find that that to, is to be the most protective layer. But so many people build a protective layer around themselves that's almost impermeable, right? And and that is really hard because you take that with you everywhere. When you're sitting behind your windshield, it's like, okay, cool. Now I'm not outside. Now I'm outside of my car. I'm not behind the windshield, and I can be open. But it's a it's an intense place to live wow. and it can be exhausting to have that sense of boundary so much in your life but um you know in retrospect seeing i needed that i need i grew up with very few boundaries in my childhood um that were both modeled for me <clears throat> through my parenting but then also just who i am as a very empathic soul like i needed to learn how to put up some strong structures around me for protection. Um, I have no regrets for anything that I've ever done in my life. And so though I'm choosing to go away from New York right now, I value those lessons, that time, that strength, that resiliency I learned about myself. And hello, the people, (laughs) You, you said that too, but the people are so amazing
0: yeah i think that's uh those are great metaphors that you use by the way for the surfing that's exactly how it is and i think also the only thing constant is change we're not supposed to be in one place forever we're we're there we're supposed to be there for a period of our lives to gain whatever knowledge wisdom lessons that we learn and then run Mm -hmm. and that's something that you touched on that's I, I feel like everyone needs to be reminded of because it's not failure. It's never failure. It's just mm-hmm. change, something impulse. Yeah. Yeah. And New York, I think everyone should experience at least once in their life because you will be like a diamond being polished in every facet and corner mm-hmm. of yourself.
1: Absolutely. I mean, teaching yoga in the city is such a calling. I mean, it's very different from teaching yoga in Santa Monica. (laughs) And I've done both, right? And I've managed studios in both. Uh, And it's an incredible journey. And for me, the journey of a teacher and to have that luxury and privilege sometimes to sit in that that seat of teacher um, is a learning process. I do it so that I can show up and be present, and create space, but also to learn truly because with each other in relationship, connections, conversations that are a little sticky, sometimes very difficult to hear, um, maybe a little uncomfortable, that's where we start to grow the most. If everything is so easy, (laughs) if there was no change, right? We as humans would get very unhappy I mean, I think of the metaphor of, you know, you're in bed just first thing in the morning, like you're just barely waking up. You're still super cozy and super comfortable and still kind of slightly sleepy, but you kind of need to go to the bathroom (sighs) and you're like, okay, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm just going to ignore that. And you try to go back to sleep and you might snooze a little bit, but then eventually you're like, I really have to go to the bathroom. And then it's like, you keep ignoring it, but it's there that little discomfort moves us f- towards eventual change and growth and evolution. It's like, okay, now I'm up for the day. I've gone to the bathroom I've washed my face and brushed my teeth. Okay, let's do a little bit something else in my m- whatever the morning routine is that you have. And so that, that basic understanding of suffering right, as, as we learn in Buddhism as it's a basic truth <laughs> of life in our existence, that it is, it is necessary for our evolution. And it is a deep mystery for all of us to grapple with personally. How can suffering be something that is necessary? And I still grapple with this personally every day of like, why bad things happen to good people? Like, why i mean in my case why did a little child have cancer like why i don't i don't know why i had cancer when i was two years old it was a genetic form of cancer it was habitual like it's hereditary meaning i have about a 50 percent chance of passing it on to any child i have but it's been nowhere in my family lineage so it's a complete mutation and you know, I, I can consider the, the structure in which I was born and the environment in which I was gestated and in, in my mother's womb and how she was frustrated with this pregnancy. She thought she was done. She was in her forties. She was like, I don't want any more kids. <laughs> so there was a little bit of, um, resentment and, and anger towards me when, when I was, um, being, you know, grown in, inside of her? Is that the cause? I don't know. Like I can't point to any one thing. Um, I, there, I, and the truth of the matter is, I'm not going to blame my mom. My mom, in my perspective, is not guilty of anything. <laughs> she's not, she's done so much amazing, amazing stuff to raise me. Um, but when we look to that, that, that there's that great why we'll all grapple with like why do we have this uncomfortable moment why is there this this changing season it's not fun (laughs) but it's going to lead us towards an eventual next state of evolution and we need it and we need it and as yogis teach that dukkha or suffering right and that's the same word in pali pali is the ancient language of the Buddha, um, that dukkha comes from our mi- misapprehension, our misseeing of a situation or an experience or life as it is. We th- we're perceiving something differently than what it is. And that's known as a vidya, that little veil. And so if we can kind of clear and wipe the lens a little bit and see things for as they are, as they truly are, then we can see suffering for what it is, what it truly is. And then we can see it in the face of neutrality. And then there's no, then there's nothing else attached to it. It's not bad or good. It just is. And so suffering is, and change is, evolution is, right? And all the while that is, is consciousness. So it's, um, Welcome to my brain. Welcome to my thinking today. (laughs) It's a wild world in here.
0: (laughs) I want to ask you some things about this, but I think we should go into the previous chapter of how you got here. Okay. If you don't mind, would you share a little bit about your story more? Yeah, totally. Like I, I, kind of alluded to it
1: a little bit, I had um, a pediatric uh, cancer when I was about two and a half years old. Uh, it's known as retinoblastoma, and it was cancer of the retina. And they've been able to mark that gene, the RB, RB gene. Um, and I'm going to be get, getting genetically tested this year. So I'm excited about that, learning which strain of the, um, my genes kind of mutated so that that I had this single eye manifest with cancer. But I had cancer, gosh. I grew up in and out of the hospital um, until I was around 12 years old. And I, a lot of my time as a kid was filled with play and filled with stories and um, time in nature at the beach. But also a lot of my time as a kid was in the hospital. And in a very kind of twilight state, they would knock me out with anesthesia. Um, And so I would spend a lot of my time in this kind of like (laughs) semi-conscious consciousness. There were multiple times where I was conscious of my body um, while I was unconscious to the rest of the world, <laughs> meaning I left my body. Um, there was one time in particular where I left my body and had that experience of seeing myself on the table and seeing all of my family where they were, um, and being at peace and, and feeling warm and, and home and, and light and kind of being pulled in that direction of warmth and home and light. And then I heard this voice, like it wasn't a voice, wasn't like James Earl Jones talking from the sky. It was just this like knowing, this like resolute no, not yet (laughs) moment for me. And as I was like in the process of continuing to leave my body, that no kind of jolted me back into my body. So I had that experience that was the most, there's one that was most profound, but I spent a lot of time in and out of consciousness as a kid. Um, but i am very grateful for modern medicine western science because quite honestly it saved my life and i started practicing yoga when i was about 14 years old i was a really angsty kid <laughs> i was really angry but in the true like la way i wanted i wanted to keep you know the structure very glossy the superficial very um, appeal, very pristine, like there was no problem underneath, um, And so I developed like a, a lot of really, not, not um, disorders but in, within the body, but just very negative experiences with my body. I danced a lot and I danced and I moved to the point of pain in my body. And I got injured when I was about 14 years old and my sports medicine doctor Uh, told me I had to do something different. I couldn't just dance all the time. And so I started doing yoga and I hated it. And I hated it because the teacher was telling me to breathe and feel my body. And quite honestly, everything that I had experienced up until then was that, Sarah, your body is diseased. Your body needs to be studied. It needs to be placated. It's not like everybody else's. You're a freak. Like all of these things, these stories that I was telling myself kept on being repeated, you know, and reinforced in the dance world. And then I got to this yoga class and she was like, you're totally welcome to do whatever you want to do. This is a, this is an inclusive space it was by donation you know I was just like this is weird um and I kept at it for some time even though I really hated it (laughs) and then um I didn't really fall in love with yoga until I was about 20 years old and I was in a heart heartbreak like my first big heartbreak of my life um my roommate pulled me to yoga because she's like you are annoying right now come (laughs) to yoga and it was at Santa Monica Power Yoga the, the West location. And I remember laying there, I think I was in, um, I think I might've been in Travis Elliott's class or Rudy Matias, one of, one of those founding teachers there. Um, and I remember laying down in Shavasana and just feeling so connected and that sense of home and warmth and light, but I wasn't leaving my body, right? I was in my body, I was in the moment it was that that state of, of bliss of k- deep connection and absorption that I had an insight of when I was like six years old <laughs> on the table and seeing my body and so disconnected from my body. But then I had this experience in a yoga class of being in my body and feeling warm and home and loving and loved and accepted. And I was like, okay, that's it. <laughs> I Sign me up. L- l- bring me back. And so I basically never left. I stayed at Santa Monica Power Yoga as a, as a karma yogi. And then I eventually started working there, uh, working the front desk. And then I eventually took over the role of uh, teacher manager there. Um, and it's been a very long and wild ride <laughs> since then. <laughs>
0: Did you realize in that moment that that's what was happening or did it just feel good and you were curious about it so you kept coming back? Is it not until reflecting years later that, oh, that's what that was?
1: Yeah, years later, years later, it was reflecting. I reflected and said, oh my gosh, that's where I am, where I went because that space that we're constantly chasing. And people, people search for it, that, that state, that higher state of, like, of bliss, of ananda, like that nectar of, of sweetness of life, like we're in constant pursuit of it. And it's something that we've all experienced and we all know, and we can experience currently in this moment and in, in this time, but oftentimes we try to connect with things outside of ourselves in order to understand what we are capable of within. And so people will go on, you know, long retreats, you know, very aesthetic practices, um, you know, plant medicine practices, and all kinds of different things that are somewhat, that seem at the beginning outside of us. But then once you have the experience, you realize, oh, it's, it's right here. (laughs) <laughs> um I needed to, I needed to have a couple of those experiences in order to make that connection and
0: that correlation. And how did you start teaching? Was it right away? Did you feel the call immediately? Was it a slow process?
1: Um I didn't feel the call immediately. I was scared patootie-less. I was scared to to become a teacher truthfully. Um, but a couple of the teachers who I was working with at Santa Monica Power Yoga was going, were starting their first teacher training program, Shauna Meyerson and Rudy Mattia at the uh, National Yoga Institute down in Santa Monica. And so they asked me to be a part of, and I, I think it was both. Like I asked to be a part of the training and they asked me to be a part of it because I Helped to take notes and I was, you know, always trying to work towards helping them. Yeah. Um, Because I think there was, it was an exchange. I was working at the studio that it was, it was one of those kind of deals. And so it just kind of worked. (laughs) I took the training and I was like, okay, so now I've taken a training. Now I don't know anything about yoga, Right? Because the moment you take your first training, the moment is the moment that you realize, oh, there's an iceberg that I've been standing on. I don't know, I didn't know before that there was an iceberg, but now there's this vast information that I have no idea about. And so I kept on taking trainings. And because I was working in studios, I just was there. So I started teaching classes. And it ended up being something that I had on trade. And I have a degree in theater and I worked in theater for years Um, throughout California and I worked on a cruise ship for some time. And I also produced runway shows and produced shows specifically for the beauty industry. And so while I was doing these shows, which seemed very, they're very high stress situations and I would then come off of a a show, off of a production, and go back into the yoga life and kind of chill out for a second. And it wasn't until I moved to New York City that I said, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna do both, you know, theatrical ventures and yoga. I'm just gonna focus on one, and the city makes me so (laughs) manic. I'm gonna focus on yoga because it's more grounding and more stabilizing. And so I have been teaching for 15 years, on and off for 15 years. But for the past nine years, eight years, I've just been really focusing on my own private practicing, my clients, um, and teaching, you know, I've taught in the corporate setting, at the collegiate level, high schools, I worked for this company called Yoga Across America, and I taught at inner-city high schools or low-income schools, and I've taught at wellness centers and cancer centers. I've taught for healthcare providers in the hospital setting. Um, It's just, it's been a very unorthodox life. (laughs) Very, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and when you're an independent contractor, you kind of go where life leads you a little bit, but all, your heart, your, that, that inner gaze is always leading. Um, I've taught for the ASPCA. Like I've taught for a, a wonderful group of people that I'm very, very grateful to have, have met throughout my life.
0: What I love about yoga and teachers is kind of like the same thing of what I love about humans everyone is so different, all of our needs are different, all of our focuses of what we teach are different. What are the things for you that really resonate within that you feel necessary to impart in your teaching? Mm.
1: I try to bring to my classes the things that I'm really excited about and the things that are really kind of changing the way that I think. I, I, I care a lot about perspective, um, because partially because I I do, I only have one eye, and so the way I see the world is inherently different than other people with two eyes, right? And so, I mean, I have a different line of depth perception and peripheral vision. Like, it's just my perception is going to be slightly different, but if we expand just the concept of perception to a broader conversation... Right, That is so important to hear other people's points of view and to let other people inform you about what's going on. And so I look to the asana as a way in which to clean that lens of perception, right? Because the asana is neutral, right? The, the vessel who's teaching it might not be. Then this is where we get into difficult circumstances and the dismantling of guru culture, right? Because those people that are, you know, giving the information are human and they have egos and that's going to get in the way sometimes, right? But the asanas themselves, they're just poses, right? And if you just work on the geometry and just focus on that simplicity, that's neutral. And so we can use that as a lens for perspective of where is Sarah at today? Where's Chloe at today? And it keeps us constantly in connection and communication with our changing selves. We are changing. We're always gonna be in flow. We're always gonna be in movement. Not to say that we're in the state of flow, but we're always in flux. And when we have a sense of stability and constancy with our practice, then we can understand the perspective shift of where we're different. And and our differences are beautiful. Again, it's important to note our differences. And I find that having that state of constancy is important as well in the practice to eventually let us kind of dissolve that into mystery. As I mentioned earlier, the why is so, so important. Why do things happen? Why? Like, if we keep asking why, we are going to go insane. (laughs) I love Simon Sinek. Start with why. I love it. But at the same time, if we just keep asking, we're going to go insane. At eventually a point, our facts, our knowledge is going to end. And if we keep going, then we cross into that realm of the unknown. And that unknown space is where mystery and faith occurs. And so we use the neutrality of the postures for perspective, but also to help us gain a greater intimacy with mystery, with not knowing. And that is a personal challenge for me. (laughs) But it's one that I'm, I'm, I'm happily stepping into each day.
0: It's amazing how these postures and the breath can have such a transformative effect on someone's life, huh?
1: Yeah, movement is medicine. It really is. I mean, I've seen oh, so many, so many transformations in people that they're doing themselves, you know? I'm, I'm just there st- standing and maybe sitting or you know saying a couple of words. They're the ones involved in their own transformation and i've seen really powerful shifts in people and it's
0: amazing yeah share a couple for people who are listening of what yeah. what the practice can do mhm
1: i mean i've seen i love yoga skeptics i love me a good yoga skeptic i'm like okay let's let's sit down let's chat um, because i too was a yoga skeptic And I really love working with um, individuals who are in maybe their fourth or fifth chapter of life, right? The baby boomer generation. Um, They are vibrant and youthful, but they have many years under them. And they like things the way they like them. And and if they have a perception of something and they think something about it, that's the way it is. So I love going in and working with somebody, you know, 65, 75 and beyond. And just giving them a little bit of insight into how their breath is working. You know, if you go your life 65, 70, 75 years, and you don't ever think about your breath, you're like, oh yeah, why should I ever think about my breath? I'm just breathing. I'm just a human, this is just what I do. We don't think about the ways in which we breathe or how our breath can affect our nervous system, right? If I just we just start to make a little shift to something that we do every day, then we can make a really powerful, profound change. I've seen people's blood, sh- blood pressures decrease just from breathing practices with me. <laughs> I've seen people in chronic pain, not able to move, not able to get out of bed, now rolling on the ground with their grandchildren and laughing and having no pain in their lives. And to me, that is so empowering because if I can, if we can remove pain, if we can remove discomfort, holy moly, like everything is possible, (laughs) you know? I mean, I've seen, I've seen people make connections within their own selves and their hearts so that they can make connections with their loved ones and start talking to their parents again, you know. Um, I've worked with um, women who are um, wanting to get pregnant and unable to, and I see them soften and open into a doorway within themselves of their own power and and release from a s- sense of grasping and connect into their own wisdom, um, and their own just sovereignty, um, and become pregnant. And it's a process, right? It's not just one thing. If you're ever going a holistic route, it's not just as there's no silver bullet. I can't I can't tell you that you know you know one breathing session with me is going to cure your high blood pressure. Not the case these people were making overall life adjustments, you know, that, that they, they got the insight, they got the download from it through their yoga practice. Because in our cells and our muscles, there's memory. And our muscles carry memory in them. And so when we're moving in a certain way and we allow ourselves to pause and to breathe and to soften, information is going to come through. And we just need somebody on... Who's been on the, the the trail, you know, a couple times to help us kind of discern what that communication is saying? What is it, what's okay, what does it mean when my body does this, Sarah? <laughs> like, okay, well, we can talk about that a little bit more.
0: We can talk about it anatomically or we can talk about it esoterically. Let's move into one of my favorite topics, mind-body connection, because we have talked a little bit. Mm. Mm. Can you? Talk about physical, mental, emotional, energetics—how it's all connected, why certain areas of our body are disconnected, and what that translates to the mind and the nervous system. Mm. And how the mm. breath is the nectar.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, this is
1: this is a po- powerful conversation, and I'll start in. I'll start from the perspective that a lot of us are commonly familiar with. And it's something that I grew up with. The state of being in survival, right? The state of being in survival, like we're hustling, we're just doing what we need to do, basic foundations of life. If you think of Abram Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We need shelter, we need food, we need a little community to stay connected. We need this outlet of like staying in in with other people and sexual desire, right to procreate to recreate. There's that that basic tendency. Now, if we are in this survival mode, our body automatically prioritizes things like blood flow to the extremities, reduced digestion functioning, reduced hormonal balance or reproductive um, system balancing, and lower cognitive thinking. When we are in what is known as the sympathetic state, fight, flight, freeze, we are in that survival mode. I'm just going to be here to just get through the day. Now, the breath is naturally connected to this autonomic nervous system that has these two parts, this survival mode, this fight, flight, freeze, and conversely, what is known as the parasympathetic nervous system, this rest, digest, you know, healing state, which is really where we should be the majority of our lives. Now, we don't often let ourselves be in that state because we are so used to being in chaos. Nature itself is chaos, It's wild out here. And we have, we are so smart in our, in who we are as a species, um, Homo sapiens, that like we create structure out of chaos to organize our world we have flattened the ground right to make it easier to walk on because uneven ground was too chaotic for us right we have done so many different things to stabilize and quote unquote normalize or create a normalcy so that we could then be out of that scarcity or survival mindset So there's a propensity, there's a tendency for us to get out of the survival mode. It's like we're constantly working to get out of survival mode. It's like one day when I finally pay off my student loan debt, then I'll be rich and happy. But then when you pay off your student loan debt, you're like, but I have all this credit card debt. You're just so used to living in debt (laughs) that it's like, I don't know how to get myself out. The breath is the thing that can take us into the other state. Because the breath oscillates between those two switches, if you will. Every time you inhale, literally every time you inhale, you're activating that sympathetic state. Every time you exhale, you're activating that parasympathetic state, that state of resting, digesting, and healing. Which is why... When you start a yoga class, the teacher will have you begin with breathing and lengthening your exhale. We have to consciously slow down. The more that we connect ourselves with technology and the frequency of technology, we have to choose more and more opportunities to slow down. When we slow down, We connect into the state that we're actually really born (laughs) to be in. When we are in the parasympathetic nervous state, our digestion improves, and we all know that the gut really is the primal brain. Serotonin is created in the gut, right? All of these things are so primal and necessary. When we start to relax more, the ovarian, adrenal, thyroid, triangle can start to find its cohesion. The best way to get ourselves into that parasympathetic state is to slow down and to slow down more than we even think that we are capable of. Doing less and we'll get all kinds of resistance to slowing down. Like, we'll come up with so many different things because we're so familiar with staying in the survival mode. We will create chaos and drama when there is none. (laughs) Because we want to stay there. It's normal, right? When we allow ourselves to settle in to the parasympathetic nervous state, and that's that state of actual kind of graceful flow, right? We talk about, quote unquote, being in flow or in that state, that flow state. It's when we can kind of oscillate, toggle, if you will, between those two states, I'm very relaxed and I'm very alert and I'm very conscious and I'm very present, but I'm also very relaxed. It's a different state. I think of dogs. I think of, <laughs> I think of um, there are like 40 wild ducks that I'm looking at right now outside of my window. And I'm looking at these ducks and these animals and yes, they have stress in their lives. They could be eaten, these ducks could be eaten, right? There is, there are wildlife out there. There is chaos, there's, you know, stress but they don't live in that stress. They're just hanging out, eating some grass, swimming, flapping their wings, hanging out, right? And we can do that too as we build our businesses. I know that sounds absolutely bizarre to people, (laughs) but we can do this staying in this flow state of what needs to be done, what needs my attention, where am I, you know, creating more, Tasks that don't need to be made, where can I get clearer, where can I get calmer, where can I do less, where can I get, you know, smarter, rather than harder, these kinds of things are when we get in the flow, and that's where everything is integrated, mind, body, energy, right, it's all there, the nervous system is energy, we can map it, we can measure it, and so energy isn't just this woo-woo thing, It's tangible, it's here, it's now, and it is groovy.
0: (laughs) Would you say that self-inquiry is the key and the first step in achieving this?
1: I think self-inquiry gets us very far, but I think that there are other things that will motivate us to start on this journey, like I mentioned. I was injured when I first started practicing when I was 14 years old. My body stopped me, right? Uh, you know, I, I couldn't continue with my dancing I was dancing like 25, 30 hours a week as a tween. <laughs> like I was dancing way too much as a kid, right? And my body stopped me. It was just like, you're in pain. Stop moving. Do something different. Right? So it was a wake up call. It wasn't just me, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting down with a cup of tea as a 12 year old with my journal, like, oh, what should I do today, Sarah? No, it was like, Sarah, you have no other choice. You have to do this right now. And the second time that I was brought back to yoga, it was from a girlfriend who was just like, you're, you need this. Like, so we need others. I'm saying this because we need others to give ourselves that, to give us perspective right, to keep us in check. Like, really, my perspective of this experience is that it's it's not very stressful, but other people are like, wow, this is really hard. Sarah. Are, are you okay going through this? Can I help? And when I realize, oh, they can help, and I take that help, I accept it, it makes everything a lot easier, right? So we need other people. And then, once we get in it, there'll be a hook that we'll find, oh, this stuff really works one way or another. And when we start to get hooked, then the self-inquiry starts to happen. Inquiry overall is the thing that brings us on the journey for our entire lives for the duration. Inquiry keeps us students. You know, having gone through, you know, having over a thousand plus hours of, you know, National Yoga Alliance accredited trainings under my belt that I've taken as a student I'm still a student (laughs) I'm still learning I'm still practicing I'm not done yet and I hope not to be for my life you know and that moment will be decided for me I think it's important to inquire after we've had our practice after we've been able to fill our cup I think it's important then to go out and let other people drink, right, to, to share. Because if we're constantly just self-involved, then we've all created that barrier. We've created that, that boundary and structure around our hearts and ourselves where nobody else can get in. And the truth of the matter, and we know this, we need more connection, not less. So inquiry brings us into the path, into the practice. And we might need others to t- get us there, right? Self inquiry is actually, I think, a little overrated.
0: <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I meant something a little different, more so. Okay. As, more so as, why am I not happy? Maybe. Oh. I, maybe I should try something different. Oh, interesting. So, can you say more on that? Um, let's say I'm repeating the same thing over and over and over again what is going to get me to make a different decision? It's looking at myself. It's not Mm. looking at the other. It's what am I responsible for here? What do I keep doing that's creating this Mm. same situation over and over and over again in my life? Interesting. Well, it's the suffering. It's the
1: discomfort. To use the bed-bathroom metaphor again, right? I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I could try to just stay here in bed all day, but I've got to (laughs) pee. I can't just do the same thing over and over and over again. I'm going to get uncomfortable. I mean, I could wet the bed. I could pee in my bed and just stay here and not get up. But that's going to get uncomfortable too. And then I'll have a pee-soaked mattress, right? We do the same thing over and over and over again to build this false sense of control over the chaos in our lives. We, again, we live in a varied, unknown, uncertain world. We always have. And we do things in structure, in routine, in ritual, so that it anchors us in those, in, within the uncertainty of our day. And ritual is important. Morning routines, Important. Evening routines, important. I do not want to bemoan that. But if we're doing the same routine, if we're eating the same foods day in, day out, if we have the same physical practice day in, day out, our bodies, our our systems are going to start rejecting it right? I developed repetitive strain injuries in both of my hips. I got labral tears in both of my hips 10 years ago because I felt the need I had to do pigeon pose every single day. And it was this sense of, oh my gosh, my hips are tight. I'm a bad person. (laughs) I don't, I don't know where I got that from. Um, But I know a lot of other yogis who have that similar experience too, that like I have to kind of beat my butt up. Right. It connects into that survival mode that I was familiar with that. Right. And eventually my body stopped me and it was like, no, you can't do this anymore. Like literally you can't do this anymore, Sarah. You have to stop. If we do things with regularity and we don't change it up, our bodies are going to tell us the discomfort, the malaise, the unhappiness, what the distaste for something, it's going to develop so much and turn into so full of a thing that you can't reject it anymore. The goal is to answer that little whisper of discomfort early on, so you can make the shift easier and more subtly, right? If we if we ask ourselves to go into your question, I just don't feel happy. You know, I keep on, I mean, I keep on dating like the same guy, and I keep on just like, break, just getting my heart broken in the same way over and over and over again. Well, there's, there will come in time when you wanna put your foot down and start dating somebody different, right? And that, that discomfort, that suffering propels us to change, propels us to grow. So it's not necessarily self-inquiry that's the catalyst. There is this necessi- necessity for, yeah, for not being happy all the time. It's okay to not be happy all the time, <laughs> right? It's just, okay, this is showing me something. This is helping me choose a path so that I can be happy. It's helping me find the path of happiness. It's helping me find... A path of of real love, you know. I'm actually I'm just in a relationship right now, and um, it's the best relationship I've ever been in in my life. And um, we met during pandemic. We met during the quarantine. <laughs> We've been circling each other for years. And I I brought up that that example of dating the same guy over and over and over again, because I, I've done it. (laughs) And at one point I was just like, Sarah, what are you doing? And, and actually I had a girlfriend tell me that too, over drinks one night because I was crying again. She's like, you know, that you've, you, we've had this exact conversation about your last three boyfriends and the common denominator was me. Like I'm the one that needed to shift. And so self-inquiry is there in the process the body's telling us we are getting these in, these messages this information constantly but not all the time can we see it we need others to help us see it sometimes unfortunately it takes a big thing for us to really see it for us to really look at our tendencies i've gone through Al-Anon a couple times and it's a process of understanding our own addictive patterns right and our own codependent patterns and we don't want it we don't want a situation to be rock bottom but sometimes it takes that that wake-up call like holy shit what am I doing And my goal, my personal goal is to bring more awareness, more presence, more love into the world so that we can recognize uh, those tendencies, potentially injurious tendencies, long before it gets to be a rock bottom. One of my favorite yoga sutras is heyam dukam asanam. All future suffering can be avoided sign me up all future pain and suffering i want to avoid pain and suffering it might be necessary but i want to avoid it how do i do that sign me up do i get like a star trek hologram to like take me into the future where there's no pain no i learn from my past i learn from the past experiences and i start to listen to others, the people that I love, my circumstances, to my body. And I start to discern that information on really subtle notes, it's actually becoming more sensitive. It's actually becoming tender. (laughs) Um, It's slowing down. So that we have the wisdom, the insight to shift our patterning long before something catastrophic happens. So I'm working on it. (laughs) It's my goal. I'm not there yet fully, but I'm getting closer. You know, I'm getting clearer. And then some days I'm not, it's like mud. And
0: then some days I get clearer. It's a journey. What are some things that changed within yourself that attracted this new relationship in your life? And what is it about this relationship that is completely different from the relationships you've had in the past? I think a lot of women can relate to this and Mm -hmm. they all come to the place, hopefully of, okay, these are my choices. This is what I'm putting up with. This is what this is my part in what I'm doing, mm-hmm. it's not on them.
1: Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of, I mean, looking back, there were a lot of profound shifts that happened over about two to three years. Um, some I was very conscious of and did so purposefully, and some I was not fully conscious of, right? So we are intertwined and involved, interdependent with the great mystery and great consciousness of life. That the universe is working with us to manifest our goals. So I put a lot of things. A lot of things also came towards me and I needed to be aligned enough so that I could say yes or no as it came into my experience. I, when I moved to New York, lived under the guise of Needing to do everything myself. I am self employed. <laughs> I moved away from my family, I'm the only one of my kind out there. Like, I've got no family in New York City.
0: And
1: felt the need to be independent in so many ways that it was repelling collaboration, it was repelling relationships. And so the kind of person that I was attracting were ghosters, right? People that were not interested in connection or communication or collaboration because I was so determined to be so self-made. Something happened at the beginning of last year where I needed my tribe. In a way that, like, I couldn't take care of myself. I needed to. I needed to rely on them so that, like, my, I brush my hair, <laughs> so that I had food. You know, it was one of those moments where I was. It was like a rock. It was a rock bottom, truthfully. Um, I needed my people. I needed to ask for help, and I needed to welcome collaboration and I co-led a retreat in Costa Rica just the week before lockdown occurred, and I went to LA to celebrate just like a midwinter holiday, seeing my parents who still live in Venice, and I ended up staying in Venice during the first six, seven months of lockdown. And this was, you know, lockdown occurred like right after this rock bottom happened. So it was one at a time. I was like, I honestly couldn't be lower. And now I'm with my parents, <laughs> like this is, I'm a grown woman. I'm used to doing everything myself. This is terrible. This is my nightmare. And little by little, I, I dear family friends let me stay in their house. So I wasn't living it with my parents. Things started taking care of itself Girlfriends sent me clothes, because I was like, I only have clothes for a week in Costa Rica. I didn't plan to be here for winter of, you know, and six months. And it was a way in which I started welcoming collaboration. I started leaning on other people and recognizing that all along, I wasn't doing it by myself. I thought I was doing it all by myself. I wasn't. And I think about my business. I mean, I, I employ women who are doing such incredible jobs and I'm so happy to support them in doing what they love doing and they do the things to support me. It's collaborative, it's interdependent. I've always needed other people. But I was living under this veil that I was doing it all by myself. Once I started opening up to that, to that idea that I need other people. And also, I am really generous. I valuing, you know, my worth of what I bring to a partnership, what I bring to a relationship is really incredible. And so if it wasn't incredible, we wouldn't have people who would pick up soup for you at the, you know, after they just worked a 10 hour shift, (laughs) you know, they would, they would go home, but, you know, people love you, people want to do things for you. And to reject those acts of service is to reject their love. Acts of service is a love language. When we reject people's words of love and affection, we reject their love. And so I started aligning myself more and more with letting love in, letting other people in. People that I had been, you know, mean to, or just not even acknowledging of. I needed to make amends. and it was a softening. Making amends is, is a humbling experience. It's a softening experience, and I'm very grateful to have met the man that I did. He's he's a gift. He really is a gift, and he would say that about me, and there's, <laughs> there's this incredible reciprocity um, that I'm incredibly grateful for. He's he is the love. He's the love of my life. <laughs> and it's a wild ride. <laughs> you met him in Venice? I um, met him, yeah, in Venice. Like, just, just about seven months ago.
0: Yeah. Pretty wild. How'd you Pretty guys wild. meet your friends, or just outside?
1: We met each other through Hinge.
0: Through the oh, app. Oh yes.
1: Um, but we do actually have a mutual friend, and as we were kind of navigating through like the trajectory of each of our lives, we've been circling each other in our friend communities for years, because we have friends from college that are mutual. So it's just one of those like we've been literally passing each other across the country and throughout the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, and it took a pandemic for us to meet each other. Yeah, but we fell in love. Crazy, crazy. I mean, let's be honest. We haven't gone out on a date. <laughs> we haven't eaten. We haven't dined at a restaurant. We haven't gone to a movie. We haven't gone to a concert. Like, what are those tip? You know, we haven't done the things, quote unquote, that are like typical date things. We go to picnics. We started, we started living together within like, a month and a half, two months of knowing each other. That's unheard of. <laughs> Un- completely
0: unheard of. But one day, we'll go out on a date. <laughs> I love talking about love. I love it when people meet their loves.
1: Mm. There's,
0: a, there's a sense of power that comes with loving someone and being loved in that way. It's a yeah. total boost yeah, to the system. Yeah. It really is, it's
1: powerful. I mean, people say this and say it so much so that it kind of loses its meaning, but love is the highest frequency. It is the most healing power on earth. And we just think about that. Think about that for a second. (laughs) It's, It's pretty, pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, and to have someone see you fully and hear you
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. It's really scary. We have very similar, um, perspectives, experiences, and, but at the same time, we're very, t- two very different people. And it's so, it's such a learning experience to be in quarantine with somebody. This is the only person I see. <laughs> and, he is such an amazing mirror that he sees the things I don't want to see. And this is relationship. Relationship is seeing the things that we cannot, like I can't see everything. I can't see between my shoulder blades. I just, I can't, neither can you, nobody can. Even if we had a mirror, it wouldn't be the exact seeing our muscle and and seeing our body. It's seeing a reflection of it. Being in relationship is seeing those parts of ourselves that we don't want to see. And there's resistance there, right? Because we don't want to see it. And the great teachers of my life have done this. They are the mirrors for, what are you, why are you doing this, Sarah? Did you know, did you know that you were doing this? And just that acknowledgement of that pattern that I've been avoiding is confrontational. And so then I take it and project it onto that teacher. That teacher's terrible, that teacher's awful. Why did they make me do this, right? Why did they make me do something that I, and I, there is, that is a valid conversation in other, in other ways. And I'm, I'm talking about me personally. When a teacher, when a lover, when a parent, when somebody that I trust reveals a pattern to me that, like, I oh Sarah, you're doing this again, my initial like er, little tantrum <laughs> comes up, and it's hard, but that is that little seed, that resistance, that suffering, that discomfort. Acknowledging it, letting it be, and letting it dissipate helps us then get into the next level, All right? I can't even tell you how many times I've continued showing up at teachers' classes even when they pissed me off. <laughs> like, how did they know this about me? When really they just said, oh, Sarah, push your big toe down. And in my mind, they were talking about all my ex-lovers. And you're like, how did you know this? They didn't, they weren't saying anything. They were just asana. It's neutral, big toes down. (laughs) But we can make it to be something else. It's just, it's so funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I can completely relate to that. It's, um, I think that's where having clarity of vision of oneself and the patterns that we have, which is what I was talking about earlier about self inquiry of what are my patterns? It's not the teacher. It's what's getting triggered within me. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's not fun to see our patterns. It's not fun to acknowledge my racist tendencies. But it's the work. It's what I do to gain a more inclusive life, to make the world a better, more loving place. And I have to do that within myself first, in my own communities, conversations with my parents, right, after George Floyd's death. I, you know, had to sit there. I sat there and listened and breathed and loved and spoke truth. And I'm not done with that. I'm still doing that. am doing it within myself, within the voices and the stories that I inherited. Right? It's not fun all the time to do it, but we can't bypass the work. And People who tell you otherwise are usually selling something, right? They're going to tell you to biohack it. They're going to tell you to, you know, jump ahead of the line, take this herb. There really isn't a, a shortcut. You've got to go through it. And we don't go through it alone. We go through it together. Um, And that's what I value about having teachers, about having friends and partners. My friends are teachers, my students are teachers, right? I value working with somebody
0: because it's a fallacy to think that we do it all by ourselves. You mentioned about racist tendencies. Would you say that came more from ignorance versus hatred? because I'm sure you're not a hateful person. Hmm. You say that was more of you weren't aware of the... Yes, yes.
1: When we, and this is, this is the conversation of having what we don't see being revealed, right? Having our tendencies be revealed. Our habits that are injurious to other people are hurtful, hateful habits and patterns we weren't conscious of before, we didn't know. And now being conscious of them, right? And what I was mentioning before is we wanna be conscious of those patterns. We wanna be aware of what we're choosing to do in our lives prior before something catastrophic happens. Sometimes it takes a catastrophic event for people to wake up. And yes, I'm speaking to ignorance personally for me too. I mean, growing up, in a systemic racist system, right? In a a community that has it within itself, right? It is, this is, right? This is the normal. Well, that normal is racist, right? And to be in that kind of pool swimming around with that sense of consciousness and that awareness is not easy for people. It's not easy for me. I'm kind of sweating right now, (laughs) but it's a conversation we need to have, right? Because the the sticky conversations, the slightly uncomfortable conversations, the conversations where we listen more than we speak really give us insight, give us awareness when there was ignorance.
0: And to teach each other. Yeah. We never
1: want to be a teacherless student. That's one one of my teachers, Annie Carpenter said that in class once, about Mati Azrati. Mati Azrati was one of the original founders with Chuck Miller of Yoga Works, And I trained with, I trained with both Annie and uh, Mati. And Annie was saying this about Mati being her teacher. And in my experience, Annie Carpenter, like she was a Martha Graham dancer, like she knows her body so well. How, how and why would she ever need a teacher? She said, don't ever be a teacherless student. Always be willing to be taught. That's, that takes humility. That takes a moment of saying, you know what, I might not know it all. And that's okay. I don't have to know it all. <laughs> I don't, I don't have to know everything right now. I don't have to carry the whole load of the weight of the world right now. Thank goodness, right? There are other people that I can rely on to do this. And I can listen. And I can learn and I can be taught. But we have to allow ourselves to be taught. We have to allow ourselves to show up and to listen. It's
0: not so easy. <laughs> I forget who put it this way, but it stuck with me. Am I the slave to my ego or am I the master to my ego? And how can we use our ego to serve our soul's purpose? Is mm-hmm. our ego going to have the reins on us and we're just kind of floundering throughout life at mm-hmm. the beck and call of this thing? Mm-hmm that is operating in fight or flight and trying to grasp onto all these constructs that once made us feel safe or once dictated how we wanted our small vision of life to look like or is this thing that enhances our personality to connect with each other and to show a different perspective can you talk a little bit about that about the role Mm. of the ego absolutely The ego,
1: thank you so much for sharing that, that grappling. Yeah, it is, it is very much that. I mean, the ego, in my personal opinion, in modern spiritual cycles and circles, gets a really bad rap. The ego is important. This... The sense of I, of me, as being separate from you is important. We talked about my journey as a kid, right? And my growth and evolution and journey through life. Like that goes into my ego because that's me. That separates me from your path, Chloe. And you have, Chloe, other identifiers, right? that make you different and unique, more so than anybody else. You're so unique, there's only one of you, right? We need that sense of I-ness for us to understand the infinite. The mind needs this sense of polarity for us to understand wholeness, the single, the singularity of ourselves, the ego helps us understand the universal and it is through the tantric lineage. I mean we've got the tantric lineage with which predates hatha. So hatha and hatha yoga practices emerged as a response to tantric practices and tantric practices are incredibly old and they're connected to the the understanding that the body is the vessel and the means through which we understand the divine. So the glorification of the senses, right? The subtle body energy, all of these practices, breath energy, a lot of Kundalini practices are in the tantric lineage, yoga nidra, tantric lineage. Right, we we practice through the body to understand the infinite. And it's both, right, if we consider the map of the chakras, right? There is a descending order down into manifestation, down into the tangible world of earth, right? With muladhara, with our pelvic first chakra. And there is that kind of slowing down of energy and vibration so that it gets grounded and manifest. But conversely, there is the ability to elevate the energy to lift it up, to enliven it, to increase its tempo and frequency so that we can access the infinite. It's both, right? So it's not just me and me, that's all there is, right? That's letting the ego rule versus I'm going to be conscious of me because this is what I want and this is what I need, but it's a vessel it's a way, it's a means of understanding and knowing what is not me. What is so beyond me that I am a part of, <laughs> right? That infinite consciousness, we are all a part of it. It's through us. It's in us. It's around us. It's everywhere. We are it. We're absorbed into it. That's what we, that's what we eventually can become when we no longer have this physical ego shell keeping us separate, but we need this separation so that we know connection. Word. (laughs) (laughs) Groovy. (laughs) We need a moment to breathe after that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. Not just slashing the ego, but how can we use the ego in our own favor and in the service of ourselves and each other?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It serves a greater purpose. I, I mean, I have to say too, that when I've been in my kind of dark nights, and I am in, caught in a cycle of negativity and isolation, of depression, right? Doesn't matter, nothing that I do matters. Nobody's gonna help me. The first step, the first thing I gotta do is get outside of myself. Go volunteer, read books to kids, go to an elderly home, you know, like get outside of ourselves, see others, see others flailing, and help them. And when we are of service, there is an incredible gift that we learn too by being of service. It's not not just about ourselves, about personal gain, no. It's about how can we uplift, engage, motivate each other and get there together that's what i'm that's what i'm really excited about you know to me a higher state is uplifting others others uplifting me and as it happens concurrently we all rise
0: thank you so much sarah i really enjoyed my time with you thank you for sharing and your presence i can't wait for people to hear this
1: thank you so much for having me
0: this was such a joy such an honor thank you chloe Bye. Bye 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 if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together stay together learn the flowers go light higher states